Hey, uh, just want to just tag on to what Liz has said uh, and let you know something that we've got coming up this week. We're we're so thankful for the Christmas store. Full debrief on that. Um, like I said, like Liz said, next Sunday. But but one of the things I think it's just really apparent to me after weeks upon weeks upon weeks of saying, please bring gifts, please bring gifts, please bring gifts, is that we want to say thank you for your generosity. So uh, starting this week on Tuesday. On our Instagram page, and only at our Instagram page, we will once again do our 12 gifts of Christmas, uh, you know, just thanks, you know, campaign. It's just 12 days of, of just celebrating local Baltimore artisans and businesses and finding ways to tell you and those who maybe be you know, following you along. Um, just thank you for the work that uh, you've done this year. Um, we'll do that by thanking local businesses. That's a kind of a COVID pivot that's sticking around for us and something we've really enjoyed. So that's on our Instagram. If you, if you don't know that, you can follow us and uh, find all of our specs there on the Connect page. And uh, that'll start Tuesday. So pay attention to that. Um, what we've done these past two weeks in this origin series, week one, we talked about Yule. The, the festival of Yule and the Yule log. And then last week we talked about Saturnalia and the, the raucous celebrations of Saturnalia. And, and, and in doing those things, like not because we needed something different to talk about than like the normal scriptures that you might hear around the Christmas season, but because something has happened, it happens in your house, it happens in a lot of houses that are decking various halls, um, that there's a lot of traditions and things that have gotten lumped into celebrating Jesus in the Christmas season that at one point in time had little to nothing to do with Jesus at all, and uh, and then asking ourselves, hey, why, why, that, why do we we hang garland and tinsel, and what about why? Why? Why is the Christmas log so endearing for us, and why are we eating it as a snack? And and so what we've tried to do is just peel back the layers of those celebrations to see how the love of Jesus has sort of superseded lots of different ways that people have celebrated uh, or longed around the winter solstice, and uh, and and so that we might gain a deeper appreciation of what hope and joy and peace and love look like. So that's the whole Origins series, and that's what that's all about. Today, week three, let me give you kind of the setup, and you can guess who this may be. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Who am I talking about? The, the baseline answer, of course, is Santa, because I've literally just quoted a song called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. But in this case, I'm actually not talking about Santa. We're not going to talk about the tradition of St. Nicholas today. We're actually going to look at, um, at one of the minions that kind of gets lumped into and tradition and lore all of the celebrations around St. Nicholas. Have you ever heard of our friend Krampus? Today, we're going to talk about Krampus, the Krampus. Yes, that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to talk about Krampus through the lens of joy. So hopefully, in the next 20 minutes, you'll have made sense of that and why, why those two have anything to do with one another. So we're going to look at Krampus, who comes from the German word meaning claw. 
Krampus falls into the tradition of other solstice traditions intended to ward off evil spirits. Perhaps you've heard about other festivals where people would wear furs and and run around and make a lot of noise trying to chase away the evil spirits. Um, What became part of this tradition ultimately was in some of all of the the kind of the solstice time gift givings, they all had little helpers. You know, Odin had an eight-legged reindeer named Schlepnir, a horse rather, named Schlepnir. And St. Nicholas began to be attributed to have companions, and they, except they weren't like, they weren't short little people that were very happy and jolly, much like our modern kind of, you know, the, the modern Christmas takes or the movie Elf with Will Ferrell kind of lean to be. They're actually kind of creepy and all sort of intended to play kind of a good cop, bad cop dynamic. So Krampus comes from the German word claw, and uh, falls in the tradition of Belschnickel and Farmer Ruprecht and, and a whole lot of other things. Um, in Norse tradition, Krampus is the son of the Nordic god Hel. Um, but many of these features have been assembled, you know, many of his features have been assembled from Greek and Roman mythology, uh, the half-man, half-goat kind of thing, the long forked tongue. Um, and, and like I said, he's in, he's not like, he's not like working against St. Nicholas, he's working with him. What does Krampus do? Well, in German tradition specifically, when, when Christmas was celebrated, which was December 5th and 6th, Krampus knocked. The Krampus would come, saith the parents, and visit the children whose boots have been put outside the door. And if, and if there was a birch stick, the Krampus would be back to kind of beat or flog the children who did not behave correctly. And not just that, the Krampus, with his long forked tongue, carried a wooden basket. And if the the boys and girls were naughty, they could be stuffed into that wooden basket and perhaps eaten by the Krampus or by the very least taken to the underworld for at least a year to the next St. Nicholas Day. So be good, for goodness sake, right? Like that's, and and like I said, that's, that's all to pave the way. That's like the John the Baptist to the Jesus, Like, all of that's paving the way for a very nice Christmas celebration, St. Nicholas Day. That's kind of the way it's supposed to work. It's a good cop, bad cop dynamic. That is the Krampus celebration. Now, there's a variation of the Krampus celebrations that go on, uh, and this is kind of the what you may have noticed or seen even in more modern time, the, the kind of the Krampus runs, where everyone, like, gets dressed up in similar furs and dresses themselves as Krampus and begins to run run around um, the towns or the cities trying to ward off the evil spirits, which is really just code for we're going to revel and make lots of noise and find the liquid courage to help us do those things, right? You can even see... you can even see more recently as the, the refugee crisis hit Europe over the past few years, governments having to issue warnings to people that like, they're just having fun and nobody's like trying to hurt you. They're just clad in furs and screaming because it's a holiday, all right? So in the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church goes, hey, this has gotten a little bit out of hand. This is a little freaky. We got to cut this out. 
it makes its way back into the lore of, of traditions and celebrations. The year this church was built in 1890 is the same year the Austrian government began to popularize the Krampus again through a series of postcards put out by the national government. If you've ever seen like kind of you know, Victorian Krampusy postcards, it's probably variations of what you've seen there. There's one of them. You know, the happy children, Merry Christmas. Here's the kids being carried away by the, the, the chained forked tongue monster because they did not behave. That was government sanctioned. This was outlawed again in the 1930s in Europe. Um, the Krampus was outlawed by, um, by the Nazis, actually, because they thought it was a liberal uh, propaganda of social Democrats. I did not have time to look into why that was the case. That's part two, if I ever do a part two of this drive-through history thing. And of course, like, again, it's kind of made a run back into the pop culture zeitgeist with 2015's movie Krampus, which I came to find out in my research for this message that people that are really into Krampus really hate that movie because they think it's too commercial. And it's all the things that wouldn't, you know, it's, it's kind of like Krampus selling out, you know, taking the mainstream record deal and not being cool and punk rock like he used to be. All right. So, so there's your, there's your flyover on Krampus. And maybe this is brand new to you. Maybe you've never heard this before, or maybe this is like your little niche of like Christmas corner and you're like eating this up. But why on earth does Krampus exist in our minds? And what on earth, why would I be talking about this on the joy Sunday of Advent? What does this guy, this half, we want to call him a guy, this monster, suggest to us about any of the verses that have read or about the nature of Christian joy. I think first thing it points to is that we have a longing for justice. We have a longing for justice, right? Yeah, I know in one sense, there's a kind of the folklore that gets the children to behave, right? He's watching. He carries birch sticks. He'll take you to the underworld. For goodness sake, be quiet, <laughs> right? Okay, behavior modifications, more on that in a minute. But there's even something in our minds that does sort of long for, does it not? The, the wicked to get what's coming to them. The people who uh, have brought harm to others to get the, the just desserts for, for what it is they've done. Like, like the person who's wronged you to, to maybe you don't want their lives to be ruined forever, but like you just would like someone to not like reward them for that wrongdoing, right? You, you would like something to at least pause for a minute and say, hey, that's not okay. And like you get a timeout. There's something in us I think that does long to see the, the flourishing and the shalom that like harkens back to the Garden of Eden where nothing was broken and everything is flourishing. It's, it's, it's very common for us to try and find like the, the, the people that we can trust in that may do that very thing for us, right? And in this case, Krampus, I think, sort of does speak to that longing that we have for, for, the, the, for the injustice going on around us or the injustice as a parent that we see kind of being peddled amongst our children to be, be sort of sorted out in the name that someone is coming that's going to sort this all out. So for goodness sake, straighten up and fly right. 
Psalm 146, the, the verses that Josie spoke to, the psalm, in the, the, it was a very initial call to worship, talked about the idea that there, the, 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 the issue of trusting in princes and kings who we often go to for the pursuit of justice, right? Because, because everyone that's running for office, everyone that's kind of taking the reign of something kind of pervades their own picture of justice. And, and none of them, the truth is, even the best of them or the best intended of them, their picture of justice is short-sighted. It, it cannot be uh, the full deliverance of, of the shalom and the sense of justice that comes in the kingdom of God, which is why the psalmist says, hey, don't put your trust just in kings and princes. Chapter, chapter 146, verse 6 continues to say this about the character of God, that he's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, but he remains faithful forever. He upholds the causes of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free and gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. What we see in the scriptures is, is a longing, and what we long for in Advent is, a, is kind of the, the joyful deliverance of justice. To see if Jesus is, is big enough to bear the weight of, of, of solving all of the things we see around us, the, the war, the hate, the, 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 the tensions, the infighting, the ruptures of peace and hope around us. And, and so for us as followers of Jesus this morning, it, it's, it's sort of a reminder to, to, to not just trust in kings and princes or, or half demon, half goats, but to trust in the one who has said, I, my kingdom will prevail. That's the longing of Advent. I think the other piece that why we're drawn to sort of the Krampus tradition um, in, in this cultural moment is, is because that we kind of see the way that Christmas is it's kind of sold to us. Um, you know, like the, the, the music swells, the lights glow, and, and everything feels right in the world. With just one glimmer of the Rockefeller tree, all of our longings come true, right? Like we, 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 we have in our head kind of this default setting that sort of suggests in our lives that like, like everything is supposed to be like perfect and okay this time of year. Um, and so there's this inner like bah humbug in you, right? That sort of rejects and looks at your life and looks at the life around you and goes, nope, that doesn't reflect my, my 2022. It didn't reflect my 2021. It didn't reflect my 2020. In fact, it didn't reflect my 2013. It, it has never reflected my story. Um, it, it's, it's, it doesn't fit the, the, the way that we, um, we, we kind of see and process the world around us. We know ourselves all too well. And so, so if we kind of look at and sort of take, if, if, if the nativity picture, if the, the glowing Jesus in the golden fleece diaper um, picture of, 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 this, of this Christmas celebration doesn't resonate with us, we're sort of drawn to the things that feel a little darker and a little more gritty and a little more real. But I want to rediscover in the words that Parker read for us this morning the, 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 the good news of great joy. 
which is that this joy is available to those who are stressed and questioning and burdened and marginalized and othered. (laughs) That that the, the joy of Christmas is available in those spaces. When we read those words from Luke 2 about about. Joseph having to uproot his life, uproot his wife, and go to Bethlehem to uh, register for a census. It's, it's all part of the disruption of the powers and principalities that be. It's a time of uncertainty. It's a time where endurance is required. It's a time where uh, whatever the situation or setup that Jesus has brought into the world, it is not sanitary. It is not simple. It is not easy. It is not the safest of all of the conditions by which children could be brought into the world. And yet, we tend to operate in this space that suggests that like, oh, Christmas is just perfect and pretty. And if, it, if your life feels perfect and pretty and all together, then like Christmas is for you. But the arrival of Jesus and who Jesus arrives to, those who are in scandal, those who are uncertain, those who are longing, those who are trying to put their faith in a God who has put something in them, but they've not yet seen the fulfillment of it, If that describes your life, if that describes your world, if that describes how you're feeling this morning, then perhaps this picture of joy in the book of Luke is more accessible to you than you might realize. And then on top of that, right, who gets to know know first that this has happened other than Mary and Joseph? It's the shepherds. It's the lowly, it's the unclean, it's the uncertain, like, like it's the, the uncertain that they could, could come approach anything godly without being struck down. Why are they terrified? Well, Scott, there's angelic beings appearing to them. Yeah, that's part of it, right? There's something supernatural happening, but there's also the posture of like, wait, if you've been told all of your life that like things that show up like that are only coming to hurt you because you're on the outside, then of course you like tense up. And I think in our lives, we know ourselves, right? We know, we know that uh, we can put on a face for a couple of days and we can have a couple good day run where the conditions of the world and the circumstances of the world don't make us want to say all the bad words and harbor all the bitterness and the resentment or dwell in all of the, the, the frustration or self-pity that we might find in our story. And we can have in our own flesh a couple good days of run. But, but if you're anything like me, you know on the other side of that is just an exhaustion. I think one of the things that, uh, that the Krampus sort of points to and speaks to uh, in the essence of joy is that we've always been told that the way that we, I mean, this is where a lot of us, this is our whole framework for Christianity, right? Like if you, if you behave the right way, if you say the right things, if you do the right stuff, and you work all those things into the equation well over the course of 365 days, then the hope of the holiday is for you. <laughs> And what Jesus has come to do is to rip up that nice list. The essence of the shepherds receiving the message, the essence of the ministry of Jesus, the essence of the gathering and the rhythms of the local church that upset all the Roman social norms we talked about last week 
was that grace is amazing, but also scandalous. Because it rips up the nice list. It says all of us, and by all of us, the Greek word for all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus to find standing, to find that kind of relief, that if we've equated Christianity to um, a series of behaviors and beliefs that sort of get us to a place, again, if we do all the things, we, we can get ourselves into right standing, I, I think we, we fall into sort of this, this kind of Krampus, St. Nick thing. And, and I think a lot of us, we've got a bad taste in our mouth about about following Jesus, perhaps for that reason. Because we know, first of all, our own hearts that, again, we can do it for a couple of days, we can follow a couple things, but then, oh my gosh, it just feels like something comes along and it blindsides us, and then we find ourselves reacting and then reacting to our reactions, and then living and dwelling in, in that trigger, and then we're, before long, we're just kind of spiraling and, and pursuing those same old hideouts and those same old escapes. The invitation... Of, of, of Christian joy is that hope has come to the hopeless. Hope has come to those who could not climb the ladder back to God themselves. And hope and joy in Christ is accessible to those who will receive that as good news. And so to call yourself a follower of Jesus, to, to choose to follow Jesus is not simply today to say, hey, I'm going to behave the right way and I'm going to start to fly right and I'm going to get back to church next week. Those things would be good, right, in a sense, but only in as much as they are a response to the thing God is doing in our heart and our story. Right? We can't equate them to some sort of place of like good standing in the world. And I think, I think that, that the Krampus and the St. Nick thing kind of, kind of play in and perhaps even fulfill a bit um, of that, that narrative for us. But I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I'm an overachiever and I'm a perfectionist. And I don't say those things in like from a place of like them as good endearing qualities. I'm an overachiever. Do you know that? I'm very good at everything I do. No, you know what they, they, they most frequently do to me is they make me feel shame. Because if there were 50 things I was supposed to do and I only got 49 of them done, what do I think about? Not the 49 things I did, but the one thing I didn't do. <laughs> and what I've come to find in my story is that fear is really good at motivating me temporarily but before long, that fear of like, what if I don't get this, it paralyzes me. And it probably paralyzes you too. So, so when we look at the Krampus tradition, right, we, we, we sort of know and we laugh at the reality that, of course, these kids might for 24 hours, like, straighten up and polish the boots and not sass their moms and dads, but as soon as St. Nicholas has brought the treats, they could get back to like mouthing off and beating the snot out of each other as brothers and sisters, much like your family Christmases went, right? <laughs> like whether you celebrated the, the Krampus stuff or not. So what we celebrate in this moment as joy is that, is that, is that Jesus has ripped up the nice list. The joy is accessible to us because of the grace and mercy and compassion of Jesus, not because we could attain it ourselves with, with a, a series of good behaviors. In fact, um, the behaviors that we see talked about in the New Testament are a response to understanding how we've been loved, right? The, that behavior, that putting on the new self, Paul would say, 
is like, hey, when you, when you understand how you've been loved, it changes the dynamics of relationships, which is true in your friendships. It's true in your work relationships. It's true in your, in your marriages or your dating relationships, right? When I, when I understand how I've been loved, I might respond differently than I would have responded before to the circumstances around me. So, so yesterday I got to, while Christmas store was happening, I got to honor um, the life of one of the folks who you, you may have never met. He, he attended church in this building for many, many years. There's probably not a part of this building that he hasn't helped fix in some way. A guy, a guy named Mr. Bill, Mr. Bill Wright. And, uh, and, and Mr. Bill, like when the time that uh, he was part of the original group from, from Riverside that, that welcomed us into this building um, to continue to do ministry on this corner for the years to come. Um, but very quickly into moving into this facility, he, he kind of moved into more of a caretaker role for his wife who was ill. So he was not so much piddling around, fixing all of the things that were breaking in the building. He was, he was doing other things. And when I kind of called him yesterday, the, 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 the maintenance Jedi consultant of sorts. And then we had this predictable game. I got to tell you a quick story about him, and then I'll get to my point. Like, like one of the things I often would do when, when something like a light would go out or something in this building, I, I don't know if you know this, but buildings built in 1890, many times changing a light bulb is not a simple task. Okay, um, I don't know if we're just way less risk averse than people of 1890 or what, or they were just all w- way more industrious. But, but you know, things when, when light bulbs go out around here, pretending in particular places, it can be quite a challenge. And so two weeks ago, a light bulb went out in that landing that you'll notice still isn't taken care of, not because we're lazy, but because it's an ordeal. And so, I, you know, when I would call Mr. Bill, one of the things I would often say to him is, hey, Mr. Bill, can you tell me how you would do this particular thing? And he would say something like this. He would say, uh, you don't want to do it like I did. <laughs> and I never got to hear how he actually changed out this light bulb because he passed away. I would later find out in all of those celebrations that it involved him hanging off the banister with people holding on to his belt. We're not doing that. <laughs> We're not going to do it like he did it. But when I was honoring him yesterday, when I had the honor of preaching at his funeral, one of the things he was insistent about in the months leading up to that funeral was like, you don't preach about me. You preach about Jesus working through me. You don't preach about the good things I did. You, every good thing in my life was an, was an outpouring of me understanding how I've been loved by God. And what I loved about that, it kind of sounds like a humble brag, but it's not. What what he had really grown to understand, what I so much came to appreciate about my times interacting with him and and sitting with him and having a coffee with him was, was, was the commitment to, man, there's always room to sort of grow in our appreciation of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. And, and, and honestly, the closer that you get to God, the, the more you become aware of your need for a Savior. The more that, because the more that you pay attention to the motivations of your heart, the motivations of your story, the, the, the quiet things that other people don't know when you, they see you kind of masked up and kind of living your best life. And, and what I loved to, to sit with this man who, who had followed Jesus for many, many years of his life was that even in his eighth decade, there was still a humility that said, hey, the, the good in me comes from my ability to understand how I've been loved by Jesus 
And I think that is a lot more of a picture of what it means to follow Jesus than the fly right, Krampus is coming kind of behavior modifications that we so often equate to a holiday like this one. Last but not least, why is, why is Krampus kind of finding a moment? And what do we learn about joy from paying attention to Krampus? Is that I think really, if we're honest, we all kind of are sick and tired of of just being sold a bill of goods that says it's, it's the job, it's the gifts, it's the plastic, it's the cloth, it's, the, it's the, the wanderlust, it's whatever it is that's going to fill us. We all just kind of feel a sense that, man, there's got to be more, something more cohesive, something bigger than, than, just, than just accumulating more things. I told you earlier that the fans of Krampus have gotten a little frustrated at the commercialization of Krampus, right? Why? Because, because they've realized that, like, in essence, any Krampus resurgence has been tied into selling things, <laughs> selling postcards with the Austrian government, selling a movie, and, and this opportunity that to, to kind of dip in and, and dip into the darker side of a holiday, I do think speaks to an impulse to just say, like, what if there's more to this, this, this season in, in our picture of joy than just getting junk and accumulating junk and buying junk and, and just pillaging the earth further? Is there not a better picture of joy available? And I think one of the things we come back to as we wrestle with and we identify what joy looks like in Jesus is that the picture of joy being sold to us in the scriptures is not one of a perfect and pretty and quiet and, you know, serene suburban dream. <laughs> it's, it's messy. It's uncertain. There's the longings of parents. There's the, the wrestling with unfulfilled things all wrapped up and pointing to a greater picture of joy in Jesus than, than the empire is selling as a picture of joy at that time. And that's still true for us today. And so I, I think those impulses that we sort of see, those Krampus runs and stuff that you see popping up, not just in Europe, but in, in modern cities, you know, um, are sort of speaking to, come on, there's got to be more, right? And if that's, if that's your story right now, I, I hope that you'll continue to wrestle. I hope you'll continue to dive. I hope that you'll continue to look at the Jesus of, of the scriptures and not the Jesus of churchianity, particularly American churchianity, that, that, you're, that you'll continue to long and you'll continue to look. And I truly believe that if you, if you do that, you'll see um, a Jesus who wants to, to display for you a greater picture of joy than what's often so many times sold to us as a picture of joy. We'll continue to wrestle with that joy available to us and responding to it by taking communion together. There's four stations in this room. They're all gluten-free stations. And, and, what, um, and what they'll represent in taking of bread and cup is, is that the way joy was accessible to us, the way the nice list was ripped up, was that, that this child gave himself, fully God, fully man, on our behalf, conquered death, conquered sin, and wants to offer us forgiveness and life. And so in that cross, in that sacrifice, we find a picture of justice. 
we find the rip-up of the nice list and we find a greater picture of joy than what's being marketed to us on our Instagram. Fleming Rutledge says it this way. The cross is the sign that God has not remained silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. For Jesus, the man more righteous, gave himself to be swallowed up instead of the wicked, and in doing so, has won the victory over all our desert places. When faith in mankind comes to an end, the message of Christmas begins. Let's pray and receive communion together. God, we often look for a man-made concoction of joy. And if we're honest, it, it often leaves us wanting. <laughs> in your cross, in your resurrection, you have told us there's joy. There's standing. There's peace. There is hope. As we partake and receive of bread and cup today, would you help that picture of joy become clearer? And would you invite and challenge us to walk in it? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.